much suffering going on in homes and churches and individual lives. And uh, so it's good to uh, be able to go through a book like this and be helped. I have been greatly helped by it. And so we uh, began looking. Uh, We'll just continue on as we did this morning, continuing to look at the warfare uh, that is considered. And uh, it's very important uh, that we remember and arm our minds and ready ourselves uh, for battle. And it seems silly sometimes, but the longer I'm saved, the more I realize the Lord used the proper language to describe uh, the Christian life. It is not a um, a bed of roses in some way. Uh, It is a warfare, a constant battle uh, that you and I engaged in and were chosen to. And uh, so that's what we are supposed to do. We're soldiers, what the Lord considers us soldiers. And uh, we're not anything else but that. We got to keep that in mind. And to always be battling, that's what soldiers do. Soldiers fight. And that's what we have to do. Fight in the right sense, not fight each other. But no, fight in the right sense. Uh, Fight against the flesh and the enemy and all those good things. Uh, So uh, anyhow, so we'll continue on here. He uh, began in chapter number four and verse number one, talking about our mind. Uh, And we'll look at that a little bit more because he comes back around and and deals with a couple of things, but basically in arming the mind, getting the mind prepared and ready, uh, arresting our members, getting our bodies under subjection is very important these last days. Uh, It's always been important that people live holy, uh, without which no man shall see the Lord. And uh, the Lord wants us to live holy, consecrated lives unto him. And so uh, then he goes on to talk about anticipating uh, the Messiah. He's coming again. And so we, uh, if you think about, he's preparing them for the last days. Uh, I mean, preparing them for what he's about to talk, deal with the last days. And he said, I want you to remember to arm your mind, ready for battle it, uh, ready for battle. And then he reminds them of the comfort of knowing uh, that the Messiah is coming again. And so uh, that is always a comfort. Nothing should should urge you and me on to live right and to do right like our Savior that is, uh, uh, behold, the Bible says he stands at the door knock and he's coming. And uh, if we've ever, ever, ever seen that in my Christian life, we're watching it unfold now. Jesus is coming and we better be ready for it because the Bible said an hour that you think not. Uh, So it's really almost in a way that uh, he's going to come when you least expect it, right? Now you and me are looking for him. He doesn't take us by surprise uh, in that sense because we are looking and hasten the coming. Uh, We want Jesus to come. We are ready for him to come. We want him to come. And uh, so uh, it doesn't overtake us as a thief. Though we don't know the day and the hour, uh, because uh, a thief doesn't announce to you that he's coming. Get ready. Uh, So you and me are ready. We're prepared. And he doesn't take us as a thief uh, because we're his friends. Remember, he said, I'm calling you my friends. And uh, so anyhow, so we're ready anticipating the coming of our Messiah. I don't know about you, but I'm excited in some ways uh, about this. Um, If I can say this, so it sounds probably carnal, um, uh, you know, when you walk by faith and you don't walk by sight and you believe things and uh, it's it's an encouragement to see what you've believed start come into action and you see it unfolding for your very eyes you know you've not believed in vain you know this is right you know Jesus is coming because it's going exactly like he said it would go and uh, so that's an encouragement to me so he says anyhow anticipate him he's coming to judge uh, and then we look down about verse um, 
Uh, verse number six, he talked about for this cause that the gospel being preached to them that are dead. Then verse number seven, but the end of all things is at hand. So be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. And uh, so we got to remember when uh, we are anticipating the coming of our Lord and we know Jesus is coming. Uh, that's not the time to slack off and fool around. Uh, it is time to get sober and serious about living for Jesus. Jesus. Uh, this isn't time to play games. This isn't time to be uh, out in all manner of uh, wickedness and sin and all that sh stuff should be behind us now. And uh, we should live uh, holy and righteous and godly lives and all of those things. Uh, but so the end is at hand. Uh, uh, be sober, watch unto prayer and exhort them to prayer. Verse number eight, and above all things, the most vital thing uh, to remember, seeing the end at hand, have first unceasing, undying charity and love among yourself. This is extremely crucial, extremely important piece of scripture as we see the end unfold, especially you young people, as you see the end begin to unfold. Now, I believe uh, that the church of the living God will be raptured. We will not be here uh, for the great tribulation. Um, we're not going to be here for the first three and a half years or the second. We're not going to be here for none of it. We are gone. Uh, we are raptured out of here uh, when it comes to the great tribulation, but we know we're going to see things come on the scene uh, and there's going to be along with that a lot of sin. Now there's always been sin on the earth but sin in a manner uh, that you've never seen it before. You talk to some of these old timers. Well I'll use my, exa my example. When I was going to school I knew of one young man that was accused of that. People called him that name and he acted a little funny but it was never discussed. It was never talked about. Uh, it was speculation even that he might be uh, a certain way. And, uh, but now it is practiced openly in the street. It is, it has become acceptable to live that way, even among professing evangelicals. Uh, that is an acceptable lifestyle. Uh, it is a alternative lifestyle. They call it a choice. Uh, excuse me. It's not a choice. You were born that way. Uh, and all of those awful things, but you're going to see it more and more. And you don't see it getting any better. You see it actually increasing. Uh, you see it getting more perverse. You see it getting more weird, uh, to me anyway. Uh, you see it getting worse and worse. And as you see the day approaching, that is going to happen. We are going to see sin uh, bound in ways and in places we never thought possible. Uh, and that the Lord told us that's going to happen. And so what can happen is, if we're not careful, uh, if we let our charity, if we begin to get... Uh, cold and our love towards one another it's going to hurt us in the last days because I see this a lot. Now, remember, he's talking to Christians. And in this portion of Scripture, uh, he is actually exhorting them amongst each other. He's not so much saying, though this is a true statement, I'm saying here he's not dealing with that. He's not saying so much, don't lose your charity and your love for the, for the people that are lost and things like that. But that, that's a true statement. We don't need to grow cold towards sinners. That's an easy thing to do. Uh, our love 
love gets cold because of uh, all kinds of various things. And so we don't need to get cold towards people that are without. But I believe in this portion of Scripture, that's not necessarily what he's saying, though that would be true. Uh, he's exhorting us here not to let our charity fail, not to, uh, uh, not to slack off any, not to uh, let our love for one another die. Because look at the language. So above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. And so um, I see this in other churches and other places. I hear this and that go on. And, uh, you know, you see it more and more in our day. You see uh, uh, what people do is they get uh, um, the, the um, uh, they have very little understanding of the local church. Uh, and so to them, they, uh, they claim people they claim to love so much. It's very easy uh, when they get and see things and see iniquity and sins uh, for them for their love to fail. Uh, and then they figure, well, I'm going to go down here to this other church uh, and love these people instead. Well, uh, what happened to your love for the people where God put you? Uh, I, I'm not for all this church hopping. Uh, I don't think a person ought to just, when the going gets tough, run off to another place where they feel like they can be more comfortable, uh, where there is no problems. And of course there wasn't until they joined. Uh, but uh, anyhow, I don't believe in that. I think we ought to be faithful and fervent, undying, unceasing uh, in our charity and our love toward the people of God where God has put us to. I believe church membership is likened unto a marriage. God puts a person uh, in that church and wants them to stay there and stick with it and not follow men. God is not uh, warning people uh, to fall in or out of different places based on other people. Uh, you, you ought to be in the battle for the Lord Jesus and you ought to stand firm and stand your ground and stay strong in the local church where God put you and uh, quit hopping around trying to find the perfect place and you'll begin to notice that the churches are not the problem. The common denominator is probably you. You are probably the problem if I had to guess. So just buckle down in these last days. There's going to be sin. There's going to be problems everywhere that you go and you've just got to buckle down and determine that I'm going to love people and I'm going to have an unceasing and undying charity towards them. They may not want it. They may not return it, but I am obligated by the Bible to have a fervent charity to other people uh, that God has, uh, where God has put me. Uh, have fervent charity among yourselves uh, for charity shall cover the multitudes of the multitude of sins and we looked at that this morning, uh, how that uh, charity is not uh, sweeping things and acting like they didn't happen, all of that, but it's actually uh, getting in the way of others being able to see all those problems because of all the love. I've seen that happen down through the years so many times. It just stirs me up. It encourages me. Uh, you know, you hear about somebody falling or you hear about, uh, but you can't tell that same story without uh, being uh, having to know and remember uh, that there was a church full of loving people that loved that person and helped them. Uh, I've used my own story before. When I first got saved, uh, people think I'm a mess now, Brother Reed. I was a mess when I first got saved, and the Lord was helping me, and I had I had problems you just wouldn't believe, but the Lord was helping me to grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord, and I just never will forget that day when I was sitting at home all by myself uh, and come uh, driving up my driveway was three men from 
from that little church. Uh, there wasn't but about 20 or 30 in that little country church where I was. Uh, but they came driving up my driveway to sit with me uh, all day. And they sat there uh, all day long and uh, stayed by my side to help me through that trouble. I've never had a lost world love me like that. Uh, but I certainly have had God's people. I'm the, I don't like hearing people bash God's church much. I don't like that uh, because God's church, sure, there's been some bad apples here and there. There's been some. The Bible talks about they creep in unawares uh, or like that one preacher that uh, they say he couldn't read very well and he preached the title of his message. We're talking about them creeping in their underwear. Uh, Billy Canoy used to tell that story. But these talk about these people that creep, uh, preach, uh, creep in unaware and there's wolves in sheep's clothing. Absolutely. There's tares amongst the weed and all those things. That does exist and uh, it hurts oftentimes to be hurt by them. Uh, but I've never, never, never in my life been around a sweeter, uh, more kinder, more generous, more forgiving, more long-suffering group of people on the face of the earth than I have in the church of the living God. I have been loved and forgiven and helped and encouraged uh, more uh, by God's people than anybody else on planet earth. And uh, so uh, I, I love God's church and we've got, we've got to remember that. Uh, we've got to remember to have fervent charity and uh, uh, our love, that charity, uh, shall cover the multitude of sins because there's going to be a lot of it. And it's not just going to be out in the world. It's going to be in the church house. Uh, so we have to remember that we've got to have charity. And I'm not going to go uh, back to Corinthians and read that. I want to move on tonight and start in chapter, excuse me, in verse number 9. As we are uh, looking through uh, in verse number 8, talking about having that fervent charity. So he's exhorted us unto prayer to be sober, number one, uh, because if we're not careful, our mind will get caught up. I don't know about you, but a man can just turn on the television and be more confused, scroll through Facebook and be more confused in a day, uh, listening to the opinions of people. Uh, Six news outlets will give the same story, but they'll report it 10 different ways, and you don't know what to believe. Uh, and so I don't care who it is. Uh, uh, there's, there's a pull at the mind and uh, you're going to um, you're going to worry. You're going to doubt. You're going to fear and all those things get into your mind. And uh, what the Lord the number one thing works with is begins to deal with the mind. So he exhorts us to be sober, exhorts us to prayer, uh, obviously. And then he reminds us that remember the greatest of these, those three remain is charity. And so then in verse number nine, after dealing with charity, uh, uh, and dealing with all of the sin that we're going to have to deal with, uh, I just think it's important. I, I don't want to beat a dead horse here, uh, but, uh, you know, as we deal more and more with things, we're having to deal with things now uh, in, in more numbers of it than have been dealt with in years gone by. Um, and uh, so we're going to have to know how do we deal with all of those things? Uh, well, we're going to have to have charity and have love. And then verse number nine, he says, now you Use hospitality uh, one to another. And uh, uh, the idea here without grudging. So uh, moving forward here, he reminds them to have hospitality one to another. Uh, and uh, we are going to need to be hospitable uh, one to another without grudging. Um, and so uh, you know what that is basically telling us. Uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, uh, the, the Some of the, I just said all that about the church and how loving and how wonderful the church is. And I believe that and I stand by that statement. But also... 
uh, Christians to a degree have been known to be uh, very capable of holding a grudge. And they won't let things go. And they'll just hold on to that thing and they'll treat people differently because they got a grudge against one. And so you'll see them at one person. They'll be so sweet, so kind, so loving. And then to this person over here, they won't even shake hands with them. They got a grudge here, uh, but they're very hospitable over here. And uh, what the, the Bible's trying to teach us to do is uh, you're going to have to put all that little silly stuff behind you. Uh, we're not in high school anymore. We've grown up. And so uh, all those little silly ways are going to have to pass away. We're going to have to grow up and just be hospitable to everybody. We're going to be kind to everybody. Uh, that word uh, uh, hospitality uh, is one example is lodging a stranger. Uh, we're going to have to provide for people. Remember when Jesus said, uh, talked about, um, uh, Lord, when were you hungry? When were you thirsty? When were you, and we gave you something to drink. That's hospitality. Uh, using being hospitable, uh, being apt to give and being kind to people. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, I've said it a lot, but I, uh, I say it again. Uh, we, we lost something when we stopped opening doors for ladies. We lost something when we quit saying yes, ma'am, and yes, sir, and no, thank you. And uh, our young generation now, uh, they act like a, uh, uh, <laughs> a bunch of little heathens. Uh, and uh, the last word going to come out of their mouth is thank you, or yes, sir, or no, ma'am. Uh, but those are still good things to have, good characteristics. Uh, to have is to say thank you and yes sir and uh, address your elders properly and you know in the Old Testament uh, when an older person when the white when the gray the hoary head uh, would come by uh, those those young people would stand up as a sign of respect uh, towards that person. And uh, I see people doing that now. And I always wondered, Brother Michael, where they got that from. I always wondered why when I'd go, when I first got saved, uh, I would uh, I would um, go to preaching meetings and things like that. And I would see preachers when you would come by, even somebody that's a nobody like me, they, they would stand up and shake your hand instead of remaining seated. And just as a sign, just to show I respect you. And I, uh, that, this being hospitality, that's hospitality. You're saying, hospitality and uh, uh, those things are still good I still try to teach my kids to do that when somebody walks by when you can now some of us are so broke down sometimes it's hard for us to get up sometimes but uh, we try to be hospitable use hospitality hey we're going to need it because listen, there is this, listen, listen to this verse, and I'm going to get moving here. But use hospitality one to another without grudging. And he talks about having fervent charity among yourselves. And he's talking about all the things and ways that they need to treat themselves. Why? Uh, because the world is vastly unhospitable. We spend uh, most of our time, you that are listening online, some of you that are here, uh, when you work all day long, you don't work, generally speaking now, uh, you don't work with a bunch of hospitable people. Everybody's trying to get ahead, and if they have to step on you to get there, they'll do it. They'll use you, they'll abuse you, they'll mock you, they'll laugh at you, they'll ridicule you, they'll mistreat you, uh, they'll tattletale on you, things that aren't so, and they'll make lies and be deceitful and out in the world, you know what? I expect that from the world. That's what lost people do. I don't quit my job. I don't walk away from eating in the restaurant uh, when I'm with unhospitable people. I expect the world to act like the world. It's not easy to deal with. 
It's not easy for people to mistreat you and to be rude and you hold the door open for them and they just walk through and don't even say thank you and all those things we've talked about before. And it, it hurts not being respected or not being appreciated, and, but we expect it from the world. But the last place we need to be treated that way is in church. The last place you would expect it is to come into the house of God and you're fired up, ready to worship Jesus, and you want to do all those things. The last place on earth you expect people to be unhospitable would be in the house of God. That is that we expect it. Hey, I, when I go, when I used to work, Brother Reed, a uh, secular job, the, the only place I wanted to get to, my boss would be talking about this. We need to get this done and that done. And I'd just stop him, Brother Michael, and I'd say, Time out. What does it take to get home? I want to go home. I don't care what we have to do. I don't care. I don't care what has to be done at this job. Quit talking about it and let's do it. I just want to know how do I get home? That was where my heart was every day. How can I get home as fast as possible? And uh, I don't know about you, Ben, but that's exactly how I felt. I couldn't wait to get home. And because I knew I'd come home, I knew there'd be people that loved you and appreciated you. You know, you can, it's a place you wanted to be. And, uh, uh, and, and the last thing I expected when I got there, that's why it hurts so much. Have you ever noticed that? Uh, it, it hurts, it hurts a whole lot more to be mistreated by family than it does out somebody in the world. If you're boss misuses you, if your boss uh, tells something that ain't so, or if your boss at work uh, uh, um, uh, uh, screams at you and curses you or something like that, uh, you can get over that. But man, if you come home and you're like Job and your wife throws a dish towel down and tells you to cuss God and die, and that hurts a whole lot more. You don't expect it from family. You don't want it from family. Those are people that you love. So it's it's one thing when you're out in the world and you're having to deal with all the problems that you're having to deal with. And on a daily basis, I don't mean to say just you men. There's many of you ladies out there deal with the same thing. Uh, but you're at work and you're dealing with an ungodly world. They're not. They're unthankful. They're unholy. They're proud boasters, lover themselves more than lovers of God. All those things the Bible tells us that they are. You deal with all that junk and it hurts. And so you can kind of have a buffer there. It doesn't get to you as much. Uh, but it hurts so much deeper when somebody that you love says something unkind to you. Would that, would that be a true statement? I mean, I, I, I've, I've, I've had people say things to me, um, and, uh, um, you know, really in some ways it was like, well, I'm glad you feel that way uh, because that's one less person I had to pretend to like anyway. Right? They, they thought it really hurt my feelings, and I'm thinking, I don't have to smile at you anymore now that I know you don't like me. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but uh, your family, uh, people that you love and people that you have a heart for, uh, people that you really care about and that you have spent time with and labored for, and man, if they say something to you, it really hurts. And, and I understand, I don't, I don't mean to make light of this, I, I hate hearing about it, uh, but I get told all the time, I've got church hurt. And I, I just hate hearing that. I, I don't know. I was just, I tried to be understanding, brother Reed, and be kind, and, uh, you know, but I kind of just want to tell people to grow up. I just kind of, I guess I'm just a little bit different. I just don't have a whole lot of, these people gone through a whole lot. There was people sawn asunder, and so I think you can make it through a little church hurt because somebody said something you didn't like or somebody didn't do something the way you wanted them to. Uh, but anyhow, I don't want to make light of that because it, 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 here's why. Because it hurts deeply when you're in a church and you're mistreated. Why? Because you love that church more. And it hurts more uh, when you're mistreated by people that you love than people that, you know, just randomly out in the world. And so this is why he's telling us, have fervent charity among yourself because of the sin, and then have hospitality one towards another. Listen, we don't have time for all of that. 
Right? Most churches, I don't know, but I, I just know time now. We, we know Jesus is coming. We don't have time to hold grudges. Right? I don't, I don't have time, uh, you know, holding a grudge against somebody and having that place inside of you where you just, you don't like them or whatever the case is. That just is going to rob you of time. Uh, you don't have time for that. Jesus is coming. And you'd be better off just to forgive them and let it go and love people and just be hospitable. Have hospitality. Use, use hospitable words. Be uh, thankful for somebody. It kills some people to have to pick up the phone and just call somebody and say, hey, I appreciate you. I love you. I'm thinking about you. I care about you. I've seen people tell me, I, I, I'm thinking of somebody right now, they are so mad. Well, my pastor never has called me. And I, here's the question I asked them. How many times did you call him? Right? Well, he, he didn't even think to check on me, didn't care about me, didn't love me. Uh, well, how many times did you call your pastor? Uh, uh, can I exhort you? And I, I appreciate that we don't have this here right now. But if you're listening online and you're thinking about leaving your church because your feelings are hurt, your pastor hadn't done this or that, I, can I just encourage you to, to stick in it, just stay in there, stay faithful, support your pastor, stay behind your church and the men of that church and work and labor and Quit running off with every man that gets upset and takes off. Your little crowd gets their feelings hurt, and so you run down the road somewhere else. I, why don't you just stay faithful where you're at, work and labor. You you young people, when you get older, don't run around here trying to find a church. Every time something happens, run off and leave the church. Is that, are you going to do a wife that way someday? When she makes you mad, you're just going to leave her? You better hope she don't do you that way. What if we done people that way? What if, what if churches just started churching people every time we just didn't like them anymore? <laughs> well, I wonder what happened to churches if everybody was like you, hopping around, been in 15 different churches, ain't none of them good enough to pastor you. Listen, just buckle down. There is nothing that's more admirable than just sticking straight and true and behind the church where God's put you and quit hopping around everybody, joining up with every church. What they do is they're looking for a place where other, they'll, they'll leave. Here's what they do. They're like Elimelech and Naomi. They, they, they'll leave in the famine because they, they, they're hopping around looking for where it's going good. So if, it's, if they're having a little touch of revival down here, they'll hop around down there because it's going good and abandon everybody else and leave us in the trench in the ditch fighting all by ourselves. <laughs> Don't do that. Uh, you, you, you stick, st hey, stay by the stuff. Just fight on the battles. Stick with God's church. God will reward you for that. Stay faithful to God's church. Don't, don't hop out of there so soon. Now, there's times God tells people, uh, moves people along and, and uh, rearranges his soldiers. And God's perfectly uh, has reserves the right to be able to do that. But outside of that, man, stay in there. I, I've had people say uh, to me before, well, we want to go somewhere where there's people our age. Well, how in the world is there ever going to be people your age where you're at if people your age keep leaving? <laughs> right? Why? Because they don't want to fight. They don't want the battles. They don't want to work hard and try to. Uh, 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 one person told me, well, I'm not going to stay in there because there's somebody that runs that church. They shouldn't be running it. That's all the more reason for you to stay. Don't leave everybody else to him. You stay in there, fight against him, get him out of there. What's he doing in there running a Baptist church? No deacon's got any business running an independent Baptist church. <laughs> Woo! I feel good saying that. And I'm glad I got a deacon that'll amen that. Hallelujah. <laughs> 
I thank God for it. I'm serious. I, there is no God has never run a church through a deacon board and never run churches through deacons. And so if uh, you're so upset by that, stay in there and fight the battle and uproot him. <laughs> the way I feel about it. Amen. And if you're too cowardly too, then I, I, I guess the best thing for you to do is tuck tail and run then. But I think that's pretty cowardly. Just abandon God's church and go somewhere where it's better for you. What about everybody else you turned your back on? Wasn't better for them for you to walk off. That's one less soldier in the fight. <laughs> well, this ain't going to make us too popular, is it, brother? <laughs> well, it feels good preaching it, though. I appreciate the truth. Hey, we're going to have to do it. Let me, let me just turn with you. Uh, we got to go. I'm not going to get to where I want to go, but turn with me to Romans 12 because I wanted to. So use hospitality one to another and do that without grudging. Uh, and uh, to you cowards that run off and abandon everybody all the time, guess what? I'm still going to try to be hospitable to you without grudging. Uh, but take care of what measure you meet. It'll be met with you to you one day. And I would say in your hour of need, you'll be abandoned. Amen and amen. I've seen people, uh, and uh, it, it, it always turns out that way in the end. And um, what we need to do is just be hospitable, be kind and loving to people, and be long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Now, we're not going to get to this. We'll pick up Wednesday night. But let's get, let's get it started here in Romans 12. We all know uh, the first parts of these uh, verses here pretty well. Uh, but I, here's why I'm going here, and we'll come back to First Peter. Uh, but verse number 10 said, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And uh, so I want to look at that just for a moment, since it uses this word gift. Uh, just uh, kind of sum up, remember, he's wanting us to be sober. He's told us to pray. He's told us to have fervent charity. And then he's told us to be hospitable one to another. What's going to get us through the last days when so many people are getting mad at each other? They're wandering off. They're leaving. They're going here, going there. and uh, They're getting offended over the least littlest thing. I, I've never seen uh, a crowd of people in our day, a generation, uh, that get so offended over everything. They, uh, but uh, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to do those things. And then it talks about this in that verse. Even so, as every man, excuse me, as every man has received the gift, even so minister the same uh, one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And that's where I get that word manifold there. Uh, so the uh, multitude, the multiple uh, grace of God. God is the God of all grace. And, uh, and so um, I want to look at Romans 12 quickly. Uh, just just take about five minutes, and then we'll we'll bring it back Wednesday. Uh, but we know these verses very well, and so I just want to go through here quickly. Um and look at how that uh, uh, the Holy Spirit deals with this matter of gifts. And what what He's going to exhort them. Here's here's what here's what I'm going to sum it up, and then we'll look at the particulars. Uh, basically, what He's saying is get involved. Here's what I've noticed happen. As things get tough, as the end draws nigh, as people's, the sins, the problems, the, all these different things are going on, a lot of people have a real tendency to just slack off and back off because I'm, I, I understand this. It, you, will, you will get hurt at some point by trying to get involved. 
you, you think you won't. If, if, I just, if I just sit on the pew and I just don't get involved, then I won't get hurt. Uh, well, uh, that's, I don't know whether that's true or not. You probably will anyway, um, because we all suffer persecution these days. Uh, but this much I know, you certainly won't be proving what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. Because uh, the will of God is for all of us to be serving, right? We're not saved to sit. We're saved to be involved. We're saved to do something. And every single person that God has birthed into his family is gifted. They have gifts. He gave gifts to men that are different in various ways. And Romans 12 begins to list uh, several of those gifts. But uh, first off, we have to get to a place where uh, um, I heard, I think it was Billy Mitchell that always said, God's using everybody that's usable. And that's true. We got to get to a place where we're able to use. Now, this is not natural talent. God doesn't take naturally talented people and use them for his glory. In fact, I've seen quite the opposite. God uses people that generally speak speaking, you think, man, I would have never guessed he would have been a preacher. You would have never thought that. You take uh, take Moses or take. I remember my pastor, brother Jim, and his personality. If you would have, if you would have just, you know, uh, tried as a uh, years ago and said, "I wonder what he's going to be one day," you probably wouldn't have said a preacher. Uh, he told us a story about when he got saved and God called him to preach, and he went to that college to preach. He was about to die. I can see him doing it because his personality is not to get it in front of people and and be noticed and to be seen and to speak in front of people. That's just not his thing. So God is actually a supernatural gift that He gives you. God enables you. God fills you with what he wants you to have. He doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the call. And uh, so uh, anyhow, so don't be looking at, well, I'm not naturally talented. I don't have... the ability to do this, that, or the other thing. Well, uh, God's not looking to use what you're talented at. God's looking to just use people. He's just, he just wants to use empty vessels, right? God wants us to submit ourselves to him and then let him use us however he sees fit to use us uh, because he's a wise uh, uh, master uh, builder and uh, we are safe and secure with him. The safest place for all of us is in the will of God for our life. And so I just want to look quickly. Verse number one says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord, unto God, which is your reasonable service. And look just at a couple of words of these. We know um, that um, what that word beseech means. It means to implore deeply. Uh, some people uh, say that it means to beg. Um, I, I hate to use that kind of language because I don't think God's begging anybody to do anything. Um, but it is gives it does give that deep just, um, sense of imploring people, uh, please, the best thing for you is to present yourself before God and let him use you the way he's, that's the best thing for your life. And because I know that's best for you, uh, because God knows that's best for you, uh, the best thing for you is to let God mold you and make you and use you the way he wants to use you. And uh, and so that's what I believe he's trying to say there. But anyway, he said, "I beseech you. I'm, uh, this is this is something I'm I, I'm deeply imploring you, please." Um, and I remember Paul's writing this. You therefore, and we could go back and look at verse thirty six in chapter eleven, but we won't. But I beseech you therefore, brethren. So this is saved people by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. And so he looks at the mercies of God. This is the basis upon which all of us will ever. 
cover. Uh, uh, what is mercy? Mercy is God withholding from you uh, everything that you deserve, right? Grace being God giving you what you don't deserve. Mercy is God withholding from you what you do deserve. And so by those mercies, uh, seeing that God has withheld from you the righteous judgment that you would certainly deserve, seeing that God would have been just to throw you in hell and never use you, let, uh, never save you, let alone use you, seeing that he's withheld that judgment from you and he's withheld all that you deserve based upon the mercies of God, present your body. And that's, that's uh, the first thing that he says to do. So we present uh, by uh, mercy and we go forth by grace, but by the mercies of God, I want you to present your bodies. And we know what that a living sacrifice. I don't want to spend a lot of time here, uh, but this is a voluntary thing, right? We voluntarily, this is like Isaac upon the altar. Uh, this is a voluntary thing that is, has to be done. You have to come to a place in your life where you literally have a blank sheet before God that you've signed at the bottom and say, here I am, God. Every ounce and piece of me is here to do what you want me to do. You've got to come to that place in your life. Uh, but I've had to come to it several times, I think, in my Christian life. I came to it when I got saved, but several times I've had to continue to say, not my will, and say, God, you do what you want to do with me. Uh, but anyhow, so present your body a living sacrifice, right? I heard seeing somebody posted before I come down here. I was flipping through faceplant and seeing somebody that posted, uh, who's ready to die for Jesus? Well, Brother Reed, I would hope that, that I would do that. I, I, don't, I would hope that I'd be ready to die for the Lord. But I, I have a hard enough time just living for him, let alone dying for him. But he's not asked me to die for him. It may come to that. They may be people kill us for what we believe. But what he wants us to do is to live. He's already died, right? He's done all the dying that needs done. He wants us to be living sacrifices. He wants us to be walking and talking and living in the will of God, presenting our bodies, saying, God, I'll wear, I'll put on my body what you want me to put on it. Well, I, that is such a touchy subject. I don't go into that, uh, but evidently that's a major problem for a lot of people. They'll leave churches over it. And, uh, you know, they always end up so much better off. They quit church altogether. Aren't, isn't that the smart answer? But anyway, uh, here's my body, Lord. I present it to you to do whatever it is that you want me to do with my body. You've got to come to that place where you get down to uh, business with God and you say, look, Lord, I, I, all my hopes and dreams and wishes, all the things that I want to do, I've got my eye on this young lady or this young man, and I'd like to marry this one or that one. And all your plans and desires that you have for your life, you just burn all of that up and just uh, uh, surrender yourself completely to God and say, God, I just want to do what what you want me to do. I want to marry who you want me to marry. I want to do, I want to have a, the career that you want me to have. I want to do what you want me to do. Present your body a living sacrifice. It's, it, it is highly important that we present our bodies to God as a living sacrifice. And uh, notice this, it's got to be holy, right? Uh, so God, if in order for him to accept it, God's not going to use uh, vessels that are unclean. So this, we have to uh, deal and repent and deal with sin and all those things, but present our bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, uh, which is your reasonable service. This is, uh, this is the only rational, and I, I wanted to go to another place in the, um, in the scripture, uh, where it uh, uses this, uh, word. Um, uh, in fact, can we flip over real quick and look at it? Uh, let me just read it to you because it's in first Peter, but this same word reasonable, 
Uh, uh, this, this, just, this just threw me uh, for a loop today when I was studying this. But that same word reasonable is translated in 1 Peter 2.2. 2. Uh, it is translated of the word. So uh, read, read with me. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. There's our uh, word that we're looking for. Desire the sincere milk of the word. What's, what are you trying to say? Well, uh, this word reasonable uh, basically means logical. It's the only logical answer. The, the, only, the only logical thing you can do is to present your body as in service unto God. That's the only reasonable, logical thing for any human being to do is to live in the will of God and present themselves and say, God, do with me as you want me to do. Why does that match First Peter 2, 2? Well, he says, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk, that's the only reasonable thing to grow thereby is the word. There's no other way. There's nothing else. There's nothing else logical to grow by. There's nothing else that's logical if you use what he's talking about here as a newborn babe. A newborn babe's not trying to reach for a Mountain Dew <laughs> unless you're from the south. If it's southern baby, it's probably reaching for Mountain Dew. No. A, a, a baby, right? A, a baby is not uh, trying to reach for the refrigerator. A baby's not trying uh, to reach for the fountain and try to get a drink of water. Uh, uh, that baby is crying out for its mother because that mother is the source of one thing that is logical and vital by instinct that it knows it has to have to grow, and that's milk. Milk, you can, you can fast. You can, if you can go, if you fast, you can go a whole lot longer if you'll drink milk. I learned that little neat trick. You can go longer because milk has nutrients in it that water doesn't have. It's actually kind of a food source. You can go quite a long time if, when you're fasting. If you, if, if you start to experience and getting shaky or, or anything like that after having not eaten, you can drink milk and, and, uh, and, and go longer uh, fasting because milk, your body has those nutrients. That's what it's saying. The only thing logical and reasonable in this world for that baby to desire is milk from its mother so it can grow. And the only reasonable, logical thing that a Christian that's wanting to live for God can do is to sign a blank check over to God and say, here is my body. Use it, abuse it, do whatever you want to do with me. My life is yours. I want to live in the will of God. And, and that is the only logical, reasonable thing for a born-again person to do is to just live and present their bodies a living sacrifice to God, right? And so they don't move or breathe or do anything outside of the instruction of the Holy Ghost. They don't run off when they get mad because their feelings are hurt. They don't, they don't backbite and, 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 and cause and stir up trouble and strife and debate and envy. And they're not doing that. They're doing what God wants them to do, right? Um, it's the only logical thing for all of us to do. Say, I don't understand that kind of spirit. People say, well, uh, I just don't want to go to hell. Uh, but I'm not going to live for the Lord, but I just, I don't want to go to hell. And so I don't care if I don't get any rewards. I don't want to live for him. I just don't want to go to hell. I don't understand that kind of thinking. I've heard people talk like that. I don't understand that. I've always just had something in my heart that just wanted to, I just wanted whatever God wanted. And it's not gone, it's not gone, brother, read like I thought it would go. And it probably won't moving forward. Uh, but I, I don't care. As long as God's in it, I want to be a part of it. I don't care. 
Amber, it didn't go nothing like we thought it would go when I got saved and I got called to preach. We had no idea as 25-year-old young people what God wanted us to do. Uh, we just, all I know, I just wanted what God wanted for me. I just, I just wanted to be, I just signed myself over. And I, I, if God, want, you want me to quit my job? Uh, God, you want me to just work and provide and uh, give to missions and give and support my pastor? And um, that, that's an honorable thing to do. God, I'll do that. What do you want me to do? I just want to do what you want me to do. And um, that kind of spirit is what Paul expressing here. Paul can say this because he's done this. I presented myself on the road to Damascus, remember, and said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And we've got to come to that place in our life, I think, several times. If you ever get time, I'm going to tell this. I didn't mean to tell it this soon, but I'm stopping. Do you believe that, Tyler? I got some oceanfront property I want to sell you if you believe I'm quitting. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. If you ever get time... uh, to go back and to listen to Adrian Rogers on this message uh, when he preached through these scriptures. I listened to that years ago. I heard it on the radio. And if you ever get time, just search Adrian Rogers and put in these scriptures and it should come up for you. Uh, but I, it made an impact on my life as a young person. I love to hear Adrian Rogers preach. He's just a, he was a great preacher. And uh, anyhow, so he would... Um, he was going down through here, and he was he was uh, talking about these verses and presenting yourself to God. And I, I've got that message at home. I, I just certain messages, you know, the Lord uses in your life. And uh, I, he was going through these verses, and at the end of his message, uh, he told a story. Uh, he told a story about being able to go to London uh, and see these certain jewels. Have you ever heard him tell that story, bro? He, he went to London. He wanted to see uh, the, I believe it's called Conir. I can't remember exactly how it's pronounced. But these certain diamonds that were given uh, to the queen, uh, and they have them, the crown jewels there in London. And he wanted to see this certain diamond because he said he had read about this diamond. And uh, it was like a 186 carat diamond or something. It, it, its value was worth something like half uh, the, the GDP of the world. Like this is one of the most valuable things and that, that, that is known to man. And he wanted to see this thing, but he, he was told a story while he was there uh, that really stuck with me. And I have never forgot this story and I'll never forget it. But he told a story about how that they got that original carrot to begin that diamond to begin with. And he said it was a prince as a young man, a, a Punjab prince, uh, whatever that means. But as a young person, as a young man, this prince gave that diamond to the queen as a gift. And he was a very young child. He, he didn't uh, know a whole lot probably about what he was giving away. And, uh, but anyway, he said later on what he, what he learned while he was there. He said later on that prince came back and demanded and wanted to see that diamond that he had given away. And they were all worried about it and thinking, well, is he going to ask it for it back? And what, you know, what, what's going on here? And uh, he said I, they brought it out and he wanted to see it. So they brought the diamond out and, uh, and laid it there. And he said, I want, it, I want you to put it in my hand. And, uh, uh, and, and so they, they reluctantly, they did that, uh, as the story goes, uh, that they took that diamond and put it in his hand. And they said, now, what are you, what are you doing? Are you thinking you're going to take this diamond back? I mean, you gave it to us. You know, they're all worried about it. Uh, but he said, no. Uh, he said, I gave this diamond as a young man. I gave this diamond not having a clue how much that it was worth. And he said, I'm here standing before you as an older man, knowing all that I know about the world and I want to give it back to you one more time as an old man. And man, that really struck something deep into my heart. 
that I didn't know when I first got saved what I was signing all over to God. I didn't know what I was doing. I, I, just, I just knew I wanted God and I wanted out of sin. And I said, God, you take my life and use me. But, I, but I'm telling you, it stirs my heart every time I think of that message to think about now that I know a little bit about what the warfare is like, what the battles are like, what it's like to get hurt at church, what it's like to be, um, to be mocked and ridiculed and mistreated and all those various things. I want to once again say and give myself over to God and say, God, I want you to have every bit of me. And I want to present myself back to you as a living sacrifice again. And I want to do whatever it is. I want to take my my hands off of my life and lay myself down upon that altar and have God use me however he wants to use me. Because uh, it, it doesn't, hey, not knowing so much the cost, it'd be easy to give it away if you think it didn't mean something. There are some signs at my house and I wanted rid of them. They're old, rusty old signs. I'd give them to anybody. They don't mean nothing to me. They're taking up space at my place. Until somebody come along and said, well, them things are worth about $200 a piece. And I wasn't giving them to nobody. In fact, if you'll go to eBay tonight, you can find them on eBay. <laughs> right? So, so the idea here is, uh, uh, yes, as a young person, we, um, we make decisions. And we, uh, but as we grow in knowledge and we go along and we, we count, we're able to count the cost a little bit more. I still want to say that I would gladly present my body a living sacrifice unto God. Holy. I want to present it holy to him. Because that is the only reasonable, logical thing that a Christian can do is to present themselves to God and let God use them up in the ministry and in the church. That is the only logical thing that a person can do. Uh, so anyhow, I, I want to do that again. I, I did. I've come times in my life. I, I, it seems like again and again where you, you've got your hands back on it and you were kind of Indian giver sometime. Lord, I want you to do with me whatever it is. Whatever the cost is, Lord, I, I want to do it. And then we get in it and we think, well, now I don't know about this, Lord. <laughs> I want to say I, I, it's, 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 been, it's, been a, it's been a battle. It's been a struggle. Uh, there's been things I never dreamed would happen and, in the ministry. And, uh, but I, 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 can, I can say before the Lord and, and before these few that are here and you online, I can say I have absolutely no regrets of signing myself over completely to God to let him use me. I've not done it completely like I should all the time. Uh, but the good news is we have the opportunity to do it again. God will allow us to come back, to repent, to get right, and say, Now, God, I've done, I've messed up, but I want you to use me. Use my life how you see fit. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for the help you are to us. Thank you for the love you show us. Thank you for the opportunity we have to, Lord, I remember the night that I turned myself completely over to the Spirit of God. And I remember several times when you called me to preach, when you, various things, surrendering uh, to the ministry and pastoring and uh, all the various places in my life. But I don't want to get to a place, Lord, uh, where i am got my hands in control of my life. I want to again, Lord, I want to come to a place where I, as that old prince did and gone back and still chose to, gave away, to give away all that that diamond was worth. I want to give you uh, myself. We don't have silver, silver and gold. You own it all anyway. But uh, what we do have, Lord, 
Lord, is our bodies, Lord, that we can give to you for you to use in your service. We love you. Please help our folks that are struggling, some that are sick and various uh, surgeries. And uh, Lord, you know the men that are on our hearts and ladies that are uh, struggling with the virus. Lord, I ask you and I ask you again tonight, uh, Lord, to give rest to your churches. I beg you to help our church to grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, help us this week. Amen and amen. All right, we'll see you, Lord willing, Wednesday night. We'll try to come back and pick up in Romans 12, Lord willing, and uh, have online service, and then we'll try to let you know something before Sunday. God bless you.